And this is your girl, Ryan. And this is the Conscious Sedation Podcast. Yeah, boy. (laughs) We are thrilled. Yes, we're so glad to be back. Say it again. We're so glad to be back. Yeah, I mean, we had to take last week off. It's fine. Rest is part of um, health as well. Yes, and that is incredibly important. Um, sorry, my children are getting ready to bed, so they might be might be hearing whispers, which is like not really a whisper. <laughs> the children's version of whispering. I was about to say whispers to you yes. and at your house. Yeah, you like not um, screaming, cool. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I don't even know what I was talking about now. I don't know either. Welcome to be. Oh, we back. Rest. That's what you were talking about. I was just saying it's important to recognize when you need that, especially um, you know right now because uh, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And I think again, I say this all the time, but I think it's easy to forget that because we've been in a pandemic for like six months now and so people are starting to get used to it so part of our life now it's like our way of life and so um i think it's important to still um recognize when you need rest and and listen to your body and your mind when it says to freeze facts so um about our last shift swin joined us we love you thank you for joining us i've had some technical difficulties with getting that shift uploaded um, just know that I'm working on it. It, it. it will be up. It is a longer shift. Um, so, you know, break it up if that's what you need to do so you can listen. But lots of gems um, during that time that we shared. We talked about education and we talked about COVID and yeah. what distance learning and all of that stuff looks like. Um, for people who might be tired of hearing about COVID, sorry, <laughs> not sorry. It's very pressing and a real situation for where we are right now so we kind of would be remiss not to talk about it and we're health professionals so you know health crisis health professionals see the connection yes yeah it all works yes well good so let's get into our mindful moment Yes, you want to go first? Because I always go first, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, so I am continuing on with the theme of like resting when you need to rest and listening to your body um, when it tells you to um, freeze. Like I said, I treated myself to a facial yesterday. Ooh, that's why you dewy and glowing. I'm like, I feel real sweaty and whatever, but. Um, I got a facial yesterday. I got a dermaplane facial Mm. where they like scrape that top layer of like dead skin and like, you know, the little peach fuzz off of your face, Mm -hmm. which really allows the facial, the actual facial to like penetrate and, you know, do what it's supposed to do. So I am mindful of that. Just that I took, that I held space for myself 
and I rarely do things that are just for me that have no benefit to another person. Mm -hmm. And I lend myself all the time to other people. And I mean, just in my work and just being a nurse and the community work that I do and being a mother. Um, so I am proud of myself for doing that. It was kind of, I was, I mean, it's kind of a weird time to do it because of COVID <laughs> yeah. and it seems like really extra to do that right now, but it was really just what I needed. And I appreciate, I go to a black owned spa and it's like a, a fully like the, all the staff and people who work there are all black. And so um, I felt like I was doing a good thing by supporting black business. You know, she's an entrepreneur and um, owning her own salon or spa <clears throat> And so I was giving to the community while also taking care of myself. So I'm mindful of that today. Yeah, that's a good thing. And like you said, we've kind of settled into this new normal or new way of living where our levels of anxiety are still there, mm -hmm. um, but it just feels like baseline anymore. And so that's good. You know, I can't think of any better time to do self-care and pampering Mm -hmm. and you know luxury type stuff so long as you can do it and it's safe yeah. <clears throat> safe ish and you feel comfortable then you know why not yeah so yeah um I did have a really good mindful moment so I thought but I forgot it fell out of my ear but there's always you know things to be mindful and grateful of one mm -hmm. thing that pops back into my mind I think of the episode that we had with Ashley where she talked about how she was going for a morning run and when she got on the interstate, there was like this crash or whatever that ended up yes. being fatal. Well, last week I went to the bank and me and my baby very rarely go out, right? Because I'm like crazy <laughs> about having her out and she really won't wear a mask and she'll get to the point where she wants to take my mask off um, when we're out. But we were sitting in the bank drive through this 10 a.m., okay, and I hear sirens and then I'm like, a high-speed chase at 10 o'clock in the morning in Atlanta? Like, what is this? And we literally had just pulled, like, off of the street where the high-speed chase was and into the bank parking lot into the drive-thru. Oh, wow. So, yeah, in that moment, I definitely had a, like, oh, that could have been us. Because it's super busy, you know, this is Atlanta, and it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Nobody expects a high-speed chase, you know, anytime really, but right, especially not 10 a.m. And it was like, I don't know, Wednesday, Tuesday. What do you done done this early in the morning that you're running from the cops? But And why are the cops chasing you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Through a heavily trafficked area, and then it's Atlanta traffic, so you're going to jump anyway. on the interstate and be in traffic. This is a no-win situation, you know, but anyway, I was very mindful that me and my little were out in harm's way, yeah. and, you know, just grateful that we're okay. Um, other than that, you know, I actually, I went to work last week, or this weekend, this past weekend, and had my first patient who was COVID positive. Oh yeah, how'd that go? Well, it was crazy because she, so okay, everybody who gets admitted gets swabbed. And so she was tongue in cheek and was like, so when this come back negative, can I take this mask off? You know, and then her test comes back positive. 
And she immediately started to catalog where she could have picked this up, you know, because she's like, I don't go anywhere. My kids are at home online learning. My husband is a truck driver. Like that has to be wrong. And so I'm like, so you want us to swap your nostril again? Because <laughs> you almost cried when we did it the first time. Um, but I said, you know, just asked her a couple things like, well, who does your grocery shopping? And she's like, I do, but I pick it up. And I'm like, but who's shopping for you? And are you like disinfecting all of the packages and taking stuff out of the packages before you bring it into the house? And mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, I said, I know your, your hubby is a truck driver, but he has to get out to get gas. Mm -hmm. He has to get out to get food. He has to get out to pee. So, you know, I said, there's so much that we don't know about this virus and how it spread. I said, thankfully for you, you are not symptomatic, you know, so um, that's a good thing <laughs> that you're not struggling. Yeah. And, you know, it hasn't crossed the placental barrier as far as we know, and it hasn't crossed into breast milk as far as we know. And she was on the fence about breastfeeding her baby and falls right in line with the topic today because she's like, breastfed babies are cl clingy. <laughs> and I was just like, well, they are very well attached. <laughs> you know? yes. um, no pun intended but I was just like you know so in considering breastfeeding and how you're going to care for this baby this might be one of the single best things that you can do for yourself and for your baby you know you'll just have to wear a mask while you do it to protect yourself and you know she was just really really concerned um, for my own safety like I thought was really cute you know she's like I'm just so sorry you have to deal with me and like, she was just really sad, and mm -hmm. so I was like, you know, it's all right. You're going to be okay. Your family's going to be okay. You know, I'm going to be okay. We're all yeah. going to get through this. And that's the thing about the thing is that most of us been exposed to the thing. Like, mm -hmm. I am not, not convinced that at this point we all don't have antibodies right. like we all right. at this point have antibodies to COVID because we have all at some point been in contact with it whether it was enough to make us if we were to get tested be positive or not but right. then how how many of us are walking around positive but with no symptoms right you wouldn't know unless you go into the hospital and they swab you or but you they better swab you after that incubation period even exactly you know that's because exactly you really right. don't know you really not do know. not know and the even the issue i think with the antibodies are is they don't last like a typical virus exactly <laughs> you yes. know, so. because you can get a re-exposure right like right. you can have covid and then have antibodies and then have a re-exposure and there's all these different strains that they keep coming out with exactly <sighs> fix yes. Jesus. <laughs> fix mm -hmm. yeah because like it, i mean the common cold is a virus right and so think about how many times you get the common cold mm -hmm. yeah right yeah well I mean, those are certainly things to be mindful of all yeah. the time. And even just, like you said, you know, the fact that, like, I, I feel we all have been exposed and that we're all continuing to live our lives and be asymptomatic and, you know, um, be able to function in a space where we can continue to support ourselves and <laughs> still yeah. well. And still try to have a life, you know, and some kind of life have some 
semblance of joy, mm-hmm. you know, despite everything that is happening, especially to us. Yeah. You know. Because I was even thinking, you know, it's funny, I was on my timeline the other day and somebody was like, the mosquitoes are just ruthless this year. <laughs> and I was like, well, I wonder if, because I have a lot of mosquito bites too, but I wonder if, are they really ruthless? Or are we just spending more time outside? Because there's yeah. nothing else to do, right? We're not going out. We're not going to the mall. We're not going to the movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we're spending more time outside. Mm-hmm. So maybe they just normal mosquitoes. <laughs> but we just haven't spent this much time outside. Yeah, that could be true. There's trying to live a life. Nature. Yeah, trying to do something other than be cooped up. Yes. With somebody else. Exactly. Not knowing mm-hmm. what kind of <laughs> cootie they got. Right. <laughs> you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. But yeah. Okay. So that was good. Um, do you have any like things a recap from last you talked about last shift already that um but do you have any like thoughts about last shift? No, I feel like um, it was a good conversation. Lots and lots of things came up that were relevant. Um, I got a little history lesson <laughs> about different stuff um, uh-huh. in the education department, just because my life is um, not really in that space at this mm-hmm. time. And I'm kind of remote from my own education and what that looks like. So yeah, it was like a refresher for me mm-hmm. about just, you know, how things are. <laughs> yeah. And how they've changed and how they haven't. So Yeah. Um, for me it was I mean, I always try my best to acknowledge um when I am moving or operating from a place of like a certain type of privilege, right? And so um I was talking about how uh I was gonna have all my children at the dining room table. And uh, Swim was like, well, shoot. I mean, because I didn't have a dining room table <laughs> growing up. So even that, and I was thinking, dang, that's true. Because I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm on a struggle bus, right? Having all my children at the table. And he was like, I mean, that's, that's nice. What a luxury. Right. Right. And I thought, mm, yeah. I never ouch. thought of that before. Yeah. If you can't say amen. Say- Yes, stay out. out. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely thought too about the people um, who asked to borrow the ergonomic seating. I was just like, ooh, okay. Yeah. So that stuck with me, but. Yes, that man. Listen, after I got it off my chest, I haven't thought another thing about it. So that's (laughs) funny. But yeah, so that was cool. We appreciate um, Swim for coming on and joining us last week. For sure. Yes. Um, Yeah, inbox report. Yes. Okay, so we got an email. Let me get this together. And this comes from my friend, Demara. Hey, girl. Um, Okay, so she said that she saw an infographic on the privileges not extended to Black moms and other people with hints of melanin. Can we discuss advocating as a patient again? Um, And I thought this email kind of went right into the topic that we're going to discuss today and would land a great opportunity for nurses notes. Um, She said they tried to release me 24 hours after birth. I had chest pains there and no one checked into it much. 
then about three days later, they felt like an eight. Her, her pain was an eight, sorry. And off to the ER, I went to pay another bill, but sent home. They were going to admit me for observation. I declined, I know, as I had no milk stored and they didn't offer me a pump or a solution. Mm. So, you know, again, <laughs> the topic of um, Black maternal mortality um, and infant mortality in that picture certainly comes into play as breastfeeding reduces both of those rates. Mm-hmm. So that's what that brings up for me, um, just the frustration and injustice. I think, um, of course, there's racism and bias in our system where I know, I know for a fact that I've seen people kind of trip over themselves to accommodate a white mom who either had to be readmitted or whose baby was in the NICU or whatever. And it's just like never even thought of for a black mom. Um, so yeah, that is a thing. It bothers me. I think there is also an education gap about why it's important to offer moms, you know, a pump. <laughs> Something simple like if a mom is being readmitted, like they just had a baby mm-hmm. and you know that they're breastfeeding or even if they're not breastfeeding and their breasts are full and uncomfortable or, you know, mm-hmm. anything, their milk is starting to come in. Maybe they're exclusive pumpers. Like it's the right thing to do to try and accommodate them and, you know, make that situation proper. Right. You know, part of it is, so I will say that I feel, depending on where you deliver or what hospital you may go to, because every mom who delivers um, in one hospital may not always return to that same hospital, right? Mm -hmm. If she, or, you know, begins to have trouble or have a complication post-delivery or in the postpartum period. But I will say, so it depends on what type of procedures or policies they have about where this mom is supposed to go, right? So some women, when they deliver or when they, if they have complications postpartum, return, right, to like a triage situation where they go back to the OB unit and they're seen on that floor. And I feel like in those situations, in those types of birthing hospitals, they're more likely to be offered a breast pump because right on that floor, people are thinking more about that perinatal period, that postpartum period. If they don't go to a facility where that's the procedure and they find themselves in like the ER with people who have like a gunshot wound or a broken bone, Mm -hmm. those people, one, in school, they probably didn't get that much education about OB and women's health, right? And then two, even if they did get a little bit of education, a module or a chapter or whatever about it, once they got to the floor and started working, they're trauma nurses, they're trauma (laughs) doctors, like they're not thinking about getting milk out of your breast, not to say that it's right, they should be thinking that if you say you just had a baby a week ago, two weeks ago, a couple days ago, they should still be thinking about that, but that's not on the forefront of their brain, and so I think it's a multifaceted problem, right, Mm -hmm. it's not just on the provider level, it's also a systems problem, right? Because there, there should be systems in place that protect women 
particularly black women, because we tend to find ourselves the most vulnerable in those spaces. Um, there should be systems that say, if you just had a baby within a whatever time frame, they can decide. You need to go to see the OB people. Mm -hmm. Unless it's something that's 100% outside of a complication that could possibly might pop, you know, could be related to the fact that you just had a baby, then that's where you need to go to seek to seek treatment. And that way we can kind of close the cracks in the floor where people kind of slip through in, in those mm -hmm. situations, I think. And then I find that ironically, most women who return to the hospital to be readmitted for whatever reason, um, usually their issue is connected to the pregnancy in oh. some way. And Almost so the always. OB floor is probably the best place for them to be like, even if they present with say high blood pressure and it looks like a chronic, you know, high blood pressure situation or, oh, renal kidney failure or, you know, something like that. I think someone who has cared for that type of patient is um, more readily able to connect the dots and Absolutely. get the appropriate treatment. Whereas you are kind of treating the root cause because you can see that um, beyond the symptoms. You know what I'm saying? I 100% agree. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, it's, it's tricky though, because I, you know, the, the more we learn about um, the, and I, I, I hesitate to talk a ton about the black infant mortality and the black maternal mortality rates because I feel like it traumatizes and re-traumatizes so many of us because it's mm -hmm. a part of so many of our story, right? Um, and, and, and to that end, I also hesitate to talk about it a lot because I feel as though when we discuss it, I hear a lot of providers and doulas, birth workers alike requesting that moms advocate for themselves. And, and, and so to me, I get that, right? I hear that, that's very important, but I feel like essentially when we say that, we're placing the onus, right? The responsibility, the life-saving responsibility on Back the patient, on the, mm -hmm. on the client, like, no. When you are having a baby, you are vulnerable. You are not in a space, I mean, where you should be required to be responsible for your life or your own child's life, right? Like you're actually paying somebody. Like literally you are, you have hired somebody, a provider, a midwife, a doctor, your nurses, everybody work for you. So why then are you, so then, then we slip into this blaming, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's mm -hmm. like a slippery slope to that. And so I hesitate to talk about advocating for yourself. Essentially what needs, again, what needs to happen is we need system change. Yeah, for We sure. need an overhaul of the systems because... I mean, yes, as a, as a, as a person, we, and you not, we have talked about this several times throughout the history of the podcast. Like it is important for us to be educated. It is important in any, in any specialty, right? Any part of our care, our health, our life, we are responsible to be knowledgeable, 
to a certain degree, right? Like we're responsible to ask questions and seek information and say no when we don't feel safe or, you know what I mean? Like we're, we are kind of, but it, the, the onus is not completely on the mama or the daddy or the support person, whoever's there. It's not, the onus is not on them to make life, life saving choices. It just isn't. Yeah, I think that was something that I really had a fear about when I had my daughter, um, because I was in this new city, you know, which I had talked about this before, how, I don't know if I said it like this, but when I was in Indianapolis, I pretty much was there with people who I had been with before I became a nurse, you know, and they um, watched me grow and watched me mature into a woman, I spent more time with a lot of them than I spent with my own blood relatives and some of my very best friends. And I definitely felt the loss of that bond when I moved here because I felt like, oh shit, now I'm going to have to be um, patient and a nurse in the bed. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have to be cognizant (laughs) of what's happening around me. Um, And maybe I can do something about it. But really, when the rubber met the road, I I still felt very um, helpless in the moment where I feel like maybe that would have been different. Well, I can't say it would have been different, but perhaps if I were in Indianapolis, that would have been one less fear for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I would have known, you know what I'm saying? My caregivers, I know that I'm in good hands. I, I would have known that my honey is not responsible for keeping an eye on me or, right. you know what I'm saying? I would have known for sure um, that I would have had that safeguard in place than when I was down here. And so, yeah, there is something to be said about self-advocacy, but it has to be in context And it's very easy to advocate for yourself um, when you're not in a crisis or emergent situation. And when you are in labor, (laughs) uh, (laughs) that is crisis-like. You know, you are pulling from every coping mechanism that you have. And, you know, God forbid it's your first baby, but even every situation is different. You know, it could be your 10th baby. And this labor goes completely different from all the other nine Mm-hmm. So self-advocacy in that moment is like, you know what I'm saying? It's and a little boy kind of thing. Even if you're not in a crisis, even if it's not urgent or emergent, if you, you can advocate for yourself all day, if nobody is listening to you, because mm-hmm. it sounds to me like from, you know, Damara's email, she did advocate for herself. She was saying, I'm having a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Serena Williams was saying, I'm mm-hmm. having a problem. But if nobody's listening to you, mm-hmm. and that's why, again, it's victim blaming. If we, if we continue to say and like preach, and again, I get the, I get the point, but like you said, it has to be within context. I get it. Yes. Teach your clients, doulas, teach your clients, teach everybody to speak up and educate them about what should be, what's normal so they know when things are not normal. Mm -hmm. Great. But the onus, the responsibility for people to go home whole and well and complete the way that they came in, it is not on the patient. It simply isn't. And that's just the bottom line. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I like to talk about advocacy, but 
um, it's never going to be the thing that I say the loudest um, because providers need to listen when, when, when people are telling them that something's wrong because we know what our bodies feel like on a normal right. good day. Right. So we are going to tell you when something is wrong. Right. And you just need to listen. Right. Yeah, that's one thing, especially when I do my childbirth ed workshops that I talk about and um, build your team. Get some people that you trust, people who you think <laughs> is listening to you or will listen to you. Mm -hmm. Hire a doula. You know, um, if you have any questions, clients who I work with, like antenatally, I'm like, what questions do you have? Oh, nothing right now. Okay, well, if something pops into your mind, take a note in your phone you know, write it down, take it back to your doctor's office and discuss those things. And those are the only ways that I feel like, you know, self-advocacy can really come to the forefront and make you feel comfortable. And I think it can build rapport um, between you and your provider. And another thing I tell them is make sure you meet all of the providers in the practice, because, you know, when that time comes, <laughs> if you don't have any kind of relationship with them, and they don't know you or mm -hmm. I tell them, you know, take your doula, take your doula to a doctor's appointment if you can so that they can see the doula. And you know what I'm saying? This connection can yeah. kind of happen because honestly, you care differently for people who you know, you know, and that's just facts. If you know them and if you have a relationship with them, I hate to say it, but you do kind of take extra care. Mm -hmm. You do. Um handle it differently. You mm -hmm. just, you just do. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I can, I can speak that truth to power because I mean, even as a lactation consultant, when I have had, um, even like the same patient or the same client, right? Like from like their first time I met them, never, never seen them before. Right. Then when they come back, we're, the vibe is different because yeah. like you said, we built a rapport. I know them. And so, yeah, it is different. It is different. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's a whole other conversation. So, okay. <laughs> that was from our inbox report, y'all. We're not yes. tangency, I don't think, tonight. We just are talking about that, okay? Yes. Okay. Well, if you have questions or concerns or you have potential topics that you would like for us to discuss, you can hit us up in the inbox. Our email address is getsedated. 705 at gmail.com. That's getsedated, G E T. S-E-D-A-T-E-D-705 -E -E at gmail.com. Um, and then you can also hit us up on Twitter and IG at, get, at conscious underscore sedation. Follow mm -hmm. us, like us, share us. We are happy to talk to you on all social media platforms. Yes, rate, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, because we're, we're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we can't wait to hear from you. Yeah. Okay, so this week we are thrilled. I'm thrilled because I'm an IBCLC. <laughs> Listen, y'all, I've been an IBCLC for 10 years, Tasha. That's a good little while now. Can you believe it? A decade. You're in double digit. What have I been doing for 10 years with my fine young self? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Besides growing old. Good. I mean, I have been doing anything for 10 years. I just don't even understand. But yeah. So, <laughs> a little bit. I thought about this three years that separates us too recently. Oh man, yeah. I used to it's think getting, you were so getting smaller and smaller. I used to think you were so much older. You were. You were. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
But no, we are celebrating. We are honoring Black breastfeeding this week, you guys, by um, having discussions about um, the importance and the value of Black breastfeeding and breastfeeding in the Black community. So this is the first day. Today is the very first day of Black Breastfeeding Week. So when y'all see BBW. It ain't big Black women. (laughs) (laughs) Black Breastfeeding Week. Black Breastfeeding Week. Mm-hmm. And Black Breastfeeding Week is, um, so August is National Breastfeeding Month, okay? And the first week of August is World Breastfeeding Week. So August is just full of breastfeeding celebrations and just honoring breastfeeding and talking about how breastfeeding truly saves lives. And um, this is no secret to most of us, but um, Black families, Black Babies tend to die at an alarming rate um, and within the first year of their life. And breastfeeding is completely protective of that. And so Black Breastfeeding Week is something that's about eight I think this is our eighth year. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it's been around for eight years. And, and there's a couple of powerhouse women who came together and decided that it was that, that Black breastfeeding was so powerful that we need an entire week to celebrate it and the importance of it. And so spreading um, information and talking about its value, having conversations about how we can protect breastfeeding in the Black community and promote breastfeeding in the Black community. And so it goes all the way until the end of the month, which is the 31st, we get a full seven days, which we deserve far more, but that's how long we take to honor it. And so we are excited to talk a little bit about it today. Yes, we are. Um, This will be... I was about to say first, but (laughs) I guess technically second year that I am um, a breastfeeder during Black Breastfeeding Week and um, becoming a mother and starting my breastfeeding journey definitely um, opened my eyes, scales fell off about a lot of stuff. Um, Honestly, working with Ryan when I was precepting her and just us being friends and in relationship, um, I learned a lot and began to gain more knowledge and a lot of respect for her um, and what she does in helping um, protect our community and combat um, rising (laughs) maternal mortality and infant mortality rates within a black community because there's a clear disparity. Um, So yeah, thank you for helping me, you know, and even when I was starting out breastfeeding, you know, I would text Ryan, like, what's going on? Like this, da, 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 da. You know, I was leery at first, but I was like, you know, again, let me take this cape off. I have help right here in my phone. Um, So if there were any times or issues that I, that would come up with, you know, my baby, which thank God, not (laughs) very many at all, but I definitely was happy to have the resource, which a lot of, you know, us don't. Mm-hmm. And that is the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will never forget. So two things. One, <laughs> when you were precepting me, or maybe I was like fresh off orientation. I don't know. But we talked about breastfeeding and like, you know, you were always very uh, loud about the fact that you wanted to be a mom. And that was something that you wanted for your life. And so I used to be like, mm-hmm, just wait, you want breastfeed? And you used to be like, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna try, but I mean, like, it was like <laughs> something that you were like, yes. 
just feed the baby. And I mean, that's how I went through most of my career. You know what I'm saying? Even with with patients, they I'd be like, "You plan a breast or bottle feed?" They like breastfeed. I'm like, "Okay, cool." You know, bottle feed. Okay, cool. You know what I'm saying? I was always just just feed it. I, how is you know neither here nor there to me? Just they say you're supposed to feed it every three to four hours. Like you ain't supposed to let more than six hours go before feeding it. So just however wow. you plan to do that, just let me know so I can write it down. <laughs> And so then I will also take that thought, right? Take what Tasha <laughs> just said and then transplant that. I'm on my way home from therapy, okay? I'm in the throes of all my feelings, okay? I'm like processing all this stuff. And Tasha called me, okay? And I can tell that she's on the verge of a breakdown. pulls over I will never forget and I am not a pullover on the phone kind of girl like I talk on the way to Texas if I'm on the highway like I don't care but I pulled over so that I could focus completely <laughs> on whatever you were saying about your breastfeeding journey you were you were going over a hump a hurdle you had a, a challenge you were trying I don't even remember what we, I don't even remember what it was it had to be when she was on strike I do not remember, but you were like Child. on the verge of a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny. I remember thinking in my mind, once we finished talking and we like worked through the kinks and we had a little plan, it was cool. I remember thinking, this Negro here. Ain't no possible way. <laughs> this is the same chick who yeah. was like, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Hurry up all that breastfeeding stuff. We got to transfer this patient on over. Come on. We got uh-huh. we got a bypass coming. We got let's, somebody coming. Who let's that baby on the way. Let's go. You got some charting to do because I ain't doing none of it for you. <laughs> you got some charting to catch up on. You need to put your delivery in the book, put in your charge sheet, get your room Listen, ready. But she got it all done. And I yes. got the baby latched. Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> But no, I remember that. I didn't know you were driving at the time. I was. I, I was leaving exactly. therapy. I'll never forget it. I know exactly what gas station I whipped into the park and talked to you. Yeah, I know exactly what happened. Um, my baby had a doctor's appointment <clears throat> in the morning, and she has always been a very, very um, hearty breastfeeder. And this one morning, she just would not ach- achieve like a proper enough latch. And when I tell y'all, my boobs <laughs> looks, they were like water balloons. So I'm like, girl, please help your mama out. And she just wouldn't. And so I was freaking like, um, I think she was only a couple months old. She was maybe two months old. It was old. little, and I, yeah. I remember yeah, she was And little. I had her um, here that day. I was by myself because my mom had come to stay with us for a while. God bless her. Um, and was helping out. And my honey was on assignment. So I was here, though, at that point by myself. So I had to get up she wouldn't latch I had to get up get myself together get her together pump feed her and then go to the doctor and I was like I did not plan out time for this <laughs> you know like the pump and then the bottle feed and the, it was just too much but yeah I was yeah I was I was struggling that day mm-hmm. and you know so yeah it's just funny like I love how it all comes full circle and now you know you are flourishing in your role as like a provider to the community not only like you know working in a facility you know in the hospital but also like really serving the community and so I can only imagine I mean 
who would have ever guessed that you'd be breastfeeding two years later, right? And so it's just amazing. I love how it all comes full circle. And I love how um, when you walk your own journey, when you walk your own path, your, you, your mind can be changed a little bit mm-hmm. and you can, you know, you can, it's because I think in my mind, I think that you are, I think that you already like had, it was, the information was already there, right? You just hadn't connected all the dots to really see mm-hmm. how um, important it is. So yeah, so I love it. I, yeah, I love it. I love, love, love to talk to you about breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah, I definitely gained a whole new respect in my own um experience as a mom but I remember the one training that had come to Eskenazi uh the milk mob training that we were able to go to me and um, a couple other of the new nurses that were on the floor and so I was really glad I remember that was a pivotal yes I remember that Mm -hmm. um in the information you know what I'm saying and being able to be like oh okay um these are all the things and the benefits and then you know beyond that learning how it affected us specifically mm-hmm. is, you know, even more charging. But for me personally, really my goal <laughs> was so for me, me, it, these breasts here. Um, my goal was to make it to six months exclusive. Okay. And so whatever happened after that, I was like, okay. So, and I still, to this day, what my, it's just a few days away from my baby's second birthday, she could have stopped at six months and one day, and I would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I feel like that now, like, you could be done at any moment. <laughs> I'd like to have my body back. But, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. And I understand that the time is finite. I understand that she's only going to be this small for this long. Yep. And so, you know, I, I work really, really, really hard at staying in the moment and, you know, appreciating it for what it is. Like, how long is she going to lay in my lap or, you know, nurse sleep in my arms and Mm -hmm. snuggle up next to me and be like my little cub? Mm -hmm. How long is that going to last? Yes. That's what I tell my moms because I feel like, I always my what I always say is like in the grand scheme of things, six months, a year of your life, like if you live to be 60, even mm-hmm. one year is like a tiny little sliver mm-hmm. of the pie of like your entire life. And so, yes, when you are in the thick of it, oh, the days alone. The days can be long, but the years are so short. Mm -hmm. They really are. Like I think about my breastfeeding journey, you know, I, you know, my oldest is 15. I know, I don't, I know you guys can't even believe it, but it's true. Okay, (laughs) she's 15. Goodbye. (laughs) Uh, Session over. (laughs) But so she's 15. And so when I was breastfeeding her, I was breastfeeding, I guess, before it was like something that we talked about openly and like before I knew anything about black breastfeeding and how it wasn't a super popular thing to do or before I knew about infant mortality rates, before there were pictures 
right? Mm-hmm. When I was breastfeeding my daughter, there were no pictures of black women breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. I couldn't open a book and see that I couldn't purchase a painting of somebody who was painted that I couldn't log on to social media and see find a group of black mm-hmm. women supporting the breast. I, I didn't have that. Thankfully, though, I come from a breastfeeding family. I come from a family where I could look to, you know, my aunts and some of my older cousins who were already mothers and I could glean information from them, but it still was not a popular thing to do. I can remember like having to go to the BMV when I was breastfeeding my oldest daughter and like, she didn't take a bottle. So we were breastfeeding Erwer and like the looks that I got and the stares that I got. And I was, you know, I was 21 when I had her. So I wasn't like mad young, but I was like young in the grand scheme of things, right? And I, so I was covered up. <laughs> it was my first baby. I was going to cover up, but I still got crazy looks and stares. And so I am thankful for things like Black Breastfeeding Week and just the progression of the conversations that we have around breastfeeding because I feel like um, it it gives us, permission not as though we ever needed permission because we've been breastfeeding the country (laughs) since its inception right okay you hashtag you're welcome Mm -hmm. right all of our ancestors antibodies are flowing all up and through everybody in america right now unless you immigrated within the last 50 years okay say what 60 Right. <laughs> okay. 65. So, um, but not like we needed permission, but I feel like it gave us just the, the, the growth and the expansion of the conversations around black breastfeeding gave us permission, um, to, to do it. And so the theme for this year is to, um, re- revive, restore and reclaim. And so you think about reviving Black breastfeeding and what that means. You think about restoring Black breastfeeding and certainly reclaiming Black breastfeeding because it's certainly our birthright. Um, It's our babies. It's the birthright of our children, of our offspring, of our grandchildren, of our legacy. It's it's the birthright to breastfeed. And so um, I'm I'm thankful for conversations like these. Yeah, I think too, um, so many times we don't realize how much the communities um, that we're in influence a family's, a breastfeeding family's success. Mm-hmm. And things like snide remarks or a side eye or, you know what I'm saying? Like just comments, disparaging, some well-meaning but it doesn't come across that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Those things can thwart a mom's uh, um, journey and ability to continue breastfeeding and walk in what is our birthright and purpose um, and knowing and having the confidence that your body, your body grew this baby (laughs) um, on the inside and now is growing and nurturing this baby on the outside. And there is Mm -hmm. not, anything better that you can do for this child other than breastfeed and I think our community is responsible for empowerment in that regard because we all don't come from breastfeeding families you know and I can remember one of my aunts breastfeeding now I didn't grow up around my other aunt so I'm not sure if they breastfed or not I don't know if my older cousins breastfed I know my older sister did not 
Um, but seeing her, I was just like exposed to it, like, okay, but it still wasn't the norm for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my honey, thankfully, comes from a breastfeeding family. And so that was very um, reaffirming for me and knowing that he understood what this meant for our family and not just um, the bond but and the nutrition, but the health, overall health of our family, like ongoing and generations, mm-hmm. because obviously if you have healthier children, <laughs> you have healthier grandchildren yes. and great-grandchildren and so on and so forth. And breastfeeding is not something that only benefits the baby, it benefits the breastfeeder, mm-hmm. you know, and decreasing risks for cancer and um, depression and all of these different things. So um, it was very good for me to be in his family and around his family and have them be accepting. And, you know, even his friendship circle, because moving here, I was kind of thrust into his circle. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of my friends, two of my friends are here now, my best friends. But one of them had a baby a month before me. So, you know, we weren't really around as much as we probably would have liked to. And she has other children. And then my other best friend um, came down maybe a year after I had my daughter. But it was a really, like, growing and learning experience for my mother and I. Um, And I'm so grateful to her and the way she respected my journey, even though it was something really foreign to us in our household, mm-hmm. you know, and so just things that I would tell her, like, you know, mom, when you bottle feed her, make sure you pace feed her and feed her this way, you know, instead of laying her back with the bottle upright and mm-hmm. um, simple stuff, you know, she would be like, you know, the baby's nursing again, <laughs> you know, yeah, she was born five pounds in an ounce. She's got a lot of catching up to do. And my nipples are paying the price, but, (laughs) but here we are, Mm -hmm. you know, all learning together. And then when it comes to um, my honey being a contributing part of my breastfeeding journey, for one, like I said, he already understood, but I feel like a lot of fathers fall in the gap because they don't know their place. And even um, support members of the family and of the village don't know their place when a mom is breastfeeding and they feel like that's the only (laughs) thing that can be done for the baby is feeding the baby. And I'm here to tell you, you can do everything else. And so um, even when it came to him, we had her bassinet or crib on his side of the bed. And when she would get up at night, he would get her, change her, pass her to me. When she got done, I would pass her to him and he would get up and put her back. And um, that's even kind of morphed into our routine now where he does her nighttime routine. Mm -hmm. And I'm so, so grateful for that because I have time, you know, to myself to either do this or work, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm working on Sacred Birthright or anything like that, I just, I have that time. But then for them, it's creating a bond and it is a father Um, learning his place in the nurturing spot, you know, and in the family. And so I really, really like appreciate that. And I really wish that more support people, excuse me, would come along and and get involved. Mm -hmm. You know, my mother was the same way. She was always like, you know, you need me to help with dinner. You 
need me to do a load of laundry. Um, let me go ahead and wash the dishes. Most things I didn't even have to ask her to do, you mm-hmm. know, and she just did it. So all of those support the breastfeeding journey. All yes. of them um, play into the s- success of the breastfeeding journey, the nurturing of the dyad, both the mom and the baby um, helps the journey into parenthood, <laughs> motherhood, mm-hmm. um, transition a little bit smoother. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. I mean, you, you done, you, 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 you covered all the whole community. <laughs> like I have nothing to add. I just echo everything that you said. Um, you say a lot of the things that I say when I educate, um, families, um, dads, like you talked about their space, like you, you, you nailed it, child. So I don't have nothing to add about that. That was, a hundred percent perfect. You're a hundred percent right. Um, so let's talk about, so if we talk about the community and we talk about the importance of moms having like this support network, right. Within the community and black people, we are a people who we're storytellers, right? Like that is traditionally how we disseminate information and amongst ourselves or within the community. So how do we go about, if we understand the value of breastfeeding and we know how important it is to breastfeed, we know how important it is for mama's babies, um, how it's breastfeeding breaks generational curses, it heals generational trauma, right? Like you said, it, it yields healthier generations in, in the future. Um, how do we go about disseminating this information? What are tools that we have now and what ideas about um, how can we be better about making sure the community, the people who support this mama, the people who are like holding her up, uh, you know, the family up, I'll say that, not just the mama, but the family, how the black family, how, what things can we do to make sure that the community is well equipped with enough information to at least respect breastfeeding, even if, because I, I fully believe what you say. Like I always tell my moms, whenever I'm serving a breastfeeding mom, one of the first questions I ask her is, are you the first one in your family to breastfeed? <laughs> because I think that's a valuable piece of information for me as a lactation consultant to know, because it's going to, it's going to determine the way in which I follow up with her. It's going to determine the way in which I educate her while she's here with me for that short time that I have with her. Um, and if I need to do any education with her family or her support people. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, what what can we do to make sure, even if she doesn't come from a breastfeeding family, right, which I feel is the, the truth for most of Black women or, you know, Black birthing bodies of childbearing age, most of us don't come from breastfeeding families. But I think the people who we look to, right, when we have a baby, we look to our maternal figures for support. We, that's who we go to ask questions. What's this rash? Or, I saw this. So the baby's doing this. We ask them all types of questions. And I feel like the people in our families, right, these maternal figures, our, our maternal influences, they are well-intentioned. But breastfeeding babies speak a different language than a bottle feeding baby does, right? Or formula fed baby. There's a different language that they speak. They need, they have different needs or they express those needs differently. It's a, it's a different baby sometimes, right? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. how can we make sure, how, wh- what can we do? What tools do we have now that we are using? Maybe we are using them well, maybe we could use them better. 
And then what ideas do you have about how, what things that we can do to make sure the community, the people who are supporting this black family um, have the support that they need to reach their, whatever their breastfeeding goal is, because I got my goal, but (laughs) their goal is the one that matters, right? Right, right. Um, I think we're using social media tools very well these days. And I know that there's a um, group a black breastfeeding group specifically that you told me about mm-hmm. um, online. And that group has, I don't know, probably maybe the last time I looked, 75,000. I was going to say they might be close. Yeah. So tons it's, of members. Yes. Um, and it's an exclusively black space as far as I know. So that is a great place to start for information and disseminating information as far as getting stuff out there and they even have a group for partners (laughs) of um, the breastfeeding moms as a support um, called I think daddy can do because it speaks to what the the roles are and Mm -hmm. the ways that the partners can help a breastfeeding dyad Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one thing but you know this is going to be like a running thing for me you have to decolonize your thinking about it. And, you know, as soon as someone even mentions breastfeeding, because of the nature of our culture, most of us, most of us, if you have grown up in American culture, you think breast, you think sex. And um, breasts are sexual and made sexual, thus so is breastfeeding. Which really, um, the connection is... <laughs> Wait, hold twisted. Pin right there. Let's mm-hmm. be clear. The breasts were made for breastfeeding. Right. The pleasurable nature of the breast is <laughs> simply a byproduct, right? Like it's like secondary to breastfeeding. I just wanted to make sure everybody was clear. Right. So <laughs> like the connection of sex and breastfeeding are really like that's a really twisted way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you see a woman breastfeeding in public, the first the first thought in your mind should not be that this woman is trying to be sexual in any way and expose herself in any way for someone's um, sexual pleasure. I think that that is step number one. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as we can let that go, then you can kind of bring up all of the benefits to the forefront because, and let me tell you, I have found more pushback and negative commentary from women about other women breastfeeding in public than, you know what I'm saying, than men. Mm -hmm. Men are usually like, I ain't got no titties, so I'm just going to shut up. And that's probably one of the only times (laughs) that that they will say something like that and know their role and shut their mouths. <laughs> but well, I'm, I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at the chat and I usually can't hold my composure. Mario just said, what? I, I, All this time, I, I thought that the breast assist was made for me. Goodbye, men's. sir. Log off. <laughs> Log off. Men's is. <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> they weren't, you know basic anatomy i don't so. think <laughs> okay i'm that sorry i just could not and, <laughs> listen and while he's 
Rio, let me educate you. You also have mammary glands, sir. And yes. evolution states that if there was ever a need for a male to breastfeed to sustain human life. Mm, get ready, get ready, could. get ready. You could. You can lactate. We just want you to know, Rio. You could. <laughs> Listen, it's funny because babies be knowing. Because the babies don't care who got a nipple. You got a nipple. You got a nipple. I'm less on everybody's nipple. <laughs> Bring it over here. I'm going to find it. I'm going to get some milk out of it. Okay. But yeah, I think that would be like literally, you have to decolonize your thinking about breastfeeding and understand the importance of um, how breastfeeding literally saves lives. Um, when yes. it comes to the black community, our babies are typically born earlier, um, mm -hmm. smaller, mm -hmm. and sicker than other communities because of you know racism in our community, structural racism. Say and that part again because it's the because why. Yes, that's so important. Yes, they are. You know, we have these. Okay, so I read something too that said. Um, Racial disparities in health care are driven by racism, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's very simple. It's a really easy connection to make. So if a mom, a pregnant person, lives in a community where you cannot find fresh food or um, where that person is in poverty in some kind of way or if that person um, does not have financial support, if that person doesn't have a roof, stable roof over their head, all of these stresses, if that person is existing in black skin, all of these things play into um, the womb and what that picture is going to look like. And mm -hmm. so these stressors can play out in preterm birth, um, underweight birth, um, you know, other comorbidities or sicknesses that happen during the pregnancy that cause a baby or newborn to have some challenges at birth. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, um, when you talk about those things within the black community, baby, there's nothing that you can do to breast milk <laughs> to make it any less healthy for the baby. Mm -hmm. Okay. So even in spite of all of these things, if you can get a person who wants to breastfeed the ability and resources and support to do it, mm -hmm. that baby will thrive. You know, that baby will grow. Um, so like for my, myself, for instance, I had my baby when I was 38 and really clinically she was, she was growth restricted in, inside of me, you know, I'm gonna save y'all the medical terms, but she was growth restricted and I never really earned that diagnosis. I don't know why <laughs> I, I, she should have because mm -hmm. she was measuring small um, probably halfway through my pregnancy up until I gave birth. And I gave birth at term. Well, I was 38 weeks and some days. And she was five pounds and an ounce. Okay. So anything under five pounds and eight ounces is considered small for gestational age or um, growth restricted. And so my baby fell into that, that mm -hmm. category of Babies being born smaller, sicker, younger. She spent some time in the NICU, you know, just because of the way my birth went. And thankfully, I'm a labor and delivery nurse and I was spent time with Ryan and, excuse me, was prepared 
to breastfeed, that my honey came from a breastfeeding family Mm -hmm. and that I had the resources that I needed so that my baby could have breast milk. And I was educated about all these things and the benefits and how it would help her. Like she had an appointment at a week and she had already gained weight, which is a big, big deal um, for a small baby. Mm -hmm. And then for a newborn, they're not usually expected to gain weight by their first appointment. And they did. And for each appointment thereafter, she doubled her weight, you know, so that, that was all breast milk for the first six months. We exclusively breastfed. We didn't give her anything else. She got formula in the hospital. Surprise. (laughs) But, you know, that was all breast milk. That was all breastfeeding. And she's fine now. Like, Mm -hmm. you would never know that she was born undersized and that she spent some time in the NICU. And Mm -hmm. you would never know. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And so that brings me to the... Um, importance of having black, we've talked about this so many times before, but black providers and mm. particularly a black lactation provider or black lactation support because, you know, although we can say that when we know someone, we care for, for them differently, I will also say that the care that a black person receives from a black provider mm-hmm. is also different. And I think it's because there is a sense of rapport that's already present. It's familial. Simply, yes, it's familial. Like you, you just already feel a little bit more comfortable. And so not only is the provider more comfortable, right? But you too, as a patient, are more comfortable. And a lot of times we find, there's studies that say that patients are more honest with providers who come from their a similar cultural background, right? And so how much bet, How much more can I care for you? How much better can I care for you if I got the whole truth, right? Mm-hmm. If I know the whole story. Um, and so, you know, I was talking to a young lady today who um, had reached out to me about she was having some breastfeeding troubles and I don't know, long story short, she ended up going to get a lactation console from somebody who was not black and they told her all these different things and then the teachers told her all these different things and I was like, yikes, right? Like, oh, this hurts my heart because girl, like we gonna take care of you over here. Like, first of all, like. (laughs) First of all, that's wrong. (laughs) Yes, let's. And I, you know, I hate to like, I have to like temper myself and truly be mindful of the words that I speak because, but yeah, like, girl, why they tell you that and you did it? Like, why you didn't call me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you went to go see this non-black lactation consultant and like, yeah, they gave you a consult, but like, girl, not like how we was going to give you one over here, so anyway, so it's so important. And I will say that, um, you know, um, the United States Breastfeeding um, Lactation Coalition, or like United States Lactation, um, I'm sorry. I'm messing it all up. <laughs> <laughs> We're like United States Lactation Consultant Association. They came out with this, um, they did statistics about how many lactation professionals there are in our in the United States of America. 
And like, we don't even make up 10%, you guys. And no wonder that breastfeeding rates are so low in the black community and, you know, infant mortality and maternal mortality rates are so high. No wonder. I mean, I've had a similar experience, um, like you said, that in me working with this, okay, you guys, so I work with a local nonprofit to provide kind of like consultation services and um, um, doula support, childbirth ed, that kind of stuff. And so I check in with these teen moms regularly. And same thing, you know, one of one of the girls called me and was like, um, my baby has been really fussy. I was wondering if you could offer any um, insight. And she previously had been breastfeeding. So I'm like, sure, you know, well, tell me what's going on. And she tells me that she had um, stopped breastfeeding as much and she started supplementing. I'm like, okay, well, how much are you feeding the baby? And she gave me this big number. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, like cringing, <laughs> like, I don't even want to hear it. Yeah. So she said that she was feeding the baby four ounces of formula every two hours. And so I was like, Ooh, okay. And then she said, you know, and the pediatrician told me that if my baby still felt hungry, that I should give the baby some water. The baby is two months old. And she said that, you know, the pediatrician also said that, um, I should give the baby, like put a little bit of cereal in the baby's bottle. The baby is two months old. The baby is two months old. And so it wasn't an assault on like her provider per se. I didn't even say that. I said, listen, um, here's what is best practice. Here's what is research and evidence-based practice as it pertains to feeding your infant. So we're going to talk about what you're feeding your infant first, (laughs) how often, and then we're going to talk about how as far as pace feeding. No wonder your baby is fussy. Screaming. His belly hurts. Right. And then I had to hit it with the, you know, um, when you put something other than breast milk or maybe even formula into your baby's body before it's time like you put your baby at risk for seeds <laughs> you know like yeah and gi issues and i'm like why should i have to hear all of this and and constipation and and obesity and diabetes let's and, and, go and, and. let's go <laughs> you know just all of this stuff so yeah it is definitely an unpacking of what they've been told. And then I think too, an issue is that all of these these visits that um, clients, patients have up to the birth of their baby are opportunities to um, disseminate this information, right? In small bits. But I can tell you from my own experience that you're not even asked if you plan to breast or bottle feed your child until you are in labor or present to the hospital ready to give birth. And that is foul, you know, because you haven't, um, you haven't discussed any of the challenges at this point and what that looks like for me and how I'm going to be able to achieve my goal, whatever that goal is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you haven't been able to dispel any myths. You haven't been able to encourage, you know, for people who be like, yeah, you know, I tried with my first baby, but I didn't have enough milk. Well, and then you come with the facts. Well, you know, statistically, like only 5% of women 
can't less than that yeah (laughs) you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. this number is so 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 small Mm -hmm. like it's it's likely that you didn't have the support that you needed you didn't manage breastfeeding well you know something you know what i'm saying yeah so yeah yeah that's crazy um Wow. And so truly that brings me to one of my points I wanted to talk about. And that were some of the myths about breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we have so many that inundate the black community. And one of them is feeding the baby stuff. Suck the it. knockout bottle. Ooh, the, can we talk oh God, about the knockout bottle? Yes, that's coming. Let's talk about <laughs> that. And before we talk about the knockout bottle, I want to first make sure we fully understand why the knockout bottle is a thing. And I fully believe that the knockout bottle exists because we as birth workers, Black birth workers have failed Black families by providing them a realistic expectation Mm, mm -hmm. about what that early postpartum period is like. And so you hear when you first, you're pregnant or you're thinking about becoming pregnant, you hear all these stories about people are exhausted and they're so tired and the baby, you know that babies don't sleep at night. But also we as a community perpetuate this idea of good baby, bad baby, because the first question people ask you when you have a baby are they sleeping through the night? Are they sleeping through the night? And so, if you find yourself to be a breastfeeding mother, your baby is not sleeping through the night. And actually, that is normal and that is healthy. That is what protects your baby from dying. <laughs> hello somebody from dying is that normal sleep wake cycle that breastfeeding babies do but so if you have that baby that's waking up every three hours at night you You're think lucky. well damn should it be should it be sleeping the night two weeks old well he not so here comes the knockout bottle Tasha talk about the knockout bottle you know I I didn't know what the knockout bottle was I didn't have any knowledge of this thing until you know social media and stuff like that and I would see like bottles with all this stuff in it and I can't even tell you everything that's in it I know it's like formula and cereal and maybe some applesauce or something and some baby food it's a bunch of stuff whatever you want to put in it it's a bunch of stuff in this bottle Mm -hmm. for a newborn I'm not so that they can sleep. Mm-hmm. And I don't know I'm the type of mama that would give my baby a knockout bottle and then be standing over him all night to make sure it's still breathing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand. I get it. I get being tired, y'all. I do. Y'all just heard me say I had a little baby who cluster fed. She was on me all the time. You know how they have the apps where you can record... Um, how often your baby is nursing. Yeah. I had to delete the app off of my phone because <laughs> I, baby, listen. You had so many plots on the chart. Jesus. Listen, the app that I had would average the amount of time your baby spent at your breast. In a day? 
in a day. Oh no. And when I started to look at how many hours I dedicated to breastfeeding, I had to, I started to have like a negative um, response to breastfeeding. And I was just like, oh no, I need to delete like, this because I've been spent eight hours and 46 minutes breastfeeding. And that is factual information. I think, listen, after a couple of days of eight plus hours of breastfeeding, mm-hmm. I said, no, nah, I need to go ahead and delete this app. I don't need to be hitting latch or right and left side every time my baby latches because mm-hmm. this right here is not anything that I was mentally prepared for. Yes. And when people would ask me, is she sleeping through the night? I'm like, what's sleeping through the night for a newborn? If she sleeps a solid four hours, baby, listen, I wake up feeling like a new woman. I'm mm. like, whoo, <laughs> four hours? Come on. That's here. because that's how long, four hours is how long it takes for an adult to complete our sleep cycle. So if you do as a new parent get a complete hours you do feel like a new woman but most babies not gonna give you that because they get their rim sleep on the front end they get our rim sleep on the back end so they like wake up like oh i'm ready to go and you like really i, I just fell asleep i just got 45 minutes of rim i'm good i'm ready to go yeah and you just you just dozed off really <laughs> But so I feel like as providers, I challenge all of us, if you're in the black birth work community, if you a grandmother, if you supporting or holding up a black new family in any capacity, set up realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. Babies do not sleep through the night. Newborns don't sleep through the night. If you are breastfeeding, even past the year, there's research that says babies from 12 to 18 months old, if you're still breastfeeding at that time, normal babies still wake up two to three times a night. And so sleeping through the night, you need to redefine that for your new life. That's going to look different for you. And you're going to have to find new ways to find some sleep. You're going to have to find new ways to rest, even if you're not getting any sleep. And that's normal. Again, remember what we said earlier is that 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 year, that six months, whatever your breastfeeding goal is, is a tiny sliver of life in the grand scheme of your life. If you live to be even only 60, right? It's like a tiny piece of that pie. And so I feel like the sacrifice, what you do for your legacy by committing to breastfeeding, by reaching whatever your breastfeeding goals are, um, you set up your entire legacy for something greater. And so I think it's certainly, it's a sacrifice that yields a a huge, a huge um, reward and a huge harvest, so. Sure, and let us not ignore the opportunity to give a breastfeeding mom a high five. If you see her breastfeeding in public, and tell her how proud you are of her. Because the way I would frame it is this is a true labor of love. It's a true labor of love because Mm -hmm. it is not without sacrifice, Mm -hmm. but it's also not without benefit. And you see the benefits like in your growing child for one, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, look at you getting all a little chunky. Okay, I did that, like literally. (laughs) and there are lifelong benefits and so we Mm -hmm. need to stop thinking that the benefits are just you know for that infancy period 
the foundation that breastfeeding lays for the health and wellness of a person lasts their entire lifespan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we see less incidence of Alzheimer's in people who have been breastfed. We see less incidence of heart disease in people who have breastfed, right? The mama and people who have been breastfed. I mean, there are endless benefits and for the entire lifespan. And we're, we can't even not speak about how they haven't even identified everything that's in breast milk. No, they, they, they have no idea. Scientists have not even been able to name and pull out every component of your breast milk, possibly because it's constantly changing for the needs of your infant or whatever, and you. That's the one. Um, and because it's a living organism, it's a living thing. Yep. Um, I know that now there's like this whole thing about bodybuilders and stuff like that, drinking breast milk. I know some years ago I heard about man putting breast milk in their protein shakes who lift mm-hmm. or do whatever. Yeah. Um, People who have Alzheimer's are drinking breast milk shakes to help to Mm -hmm. delay the effects of Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I did. I feel like I got contacted by somebody um, early in my breastfeeding journey about possibly donating milk because they were trying to do breast cancer research. And it's hard to do research if you don't have like a constantly changing breast or something like that. And so they wanted breast milk. Now me, I'm like, Henrietta Lacks, no thanks. But um, but you know. That's a whole this, other conversation for another yes. day. Yeah. But you know, breast milk has become a treatment for different ailments within our community. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> when all of this coronavirus stuff jumped off, I told my man, look, everybody getting shots of breast milk. And that Legit. was when I was still like making a significant amount of breast milk. I was like, you come in here coughing. I tell moms <laughs> all the spray time. The back of your throat like sepa call. Don't mess with me. I wish I knew what I know now when I was breastfeeding because I would have frozen some of my milk. I'm talking about, yes. listen, if I get a cut on my hand, I'm like, who do I know who's breastfeeding? Baby, because I need to put a little bit of some miracle juice Okay, on this bird or this cut or it got a pink eye. I need something. Come on. Because it's right. it's living. Like you said, it has live white blood cells in it. it. You can't replicate it. I don't care how much the pharmaceutical companies try. I don't care what they label say. It's most like mom's milk, best for breastfed babies. They were marketing and selling the heck out of that stuff. It will never Mm-mm. compare. Never measure up. Mm-hmm. It will never no, yeah. it certainly will not. It will never measure up to to the real deal. The real McCoy. And, yeah. <laughs> and right. I, you know, it, it just it just really won't. And I, I I cannot I cannot say enough about how invaluable it is. I mean, it's like you can't like put a gold, price on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You cannot put a price on it. And even that experience, like you spoke earlier about people saying that breastfed babies are clingy. That's another myth, right? Like they, you can't take them nowhere. They won't stay with anybody. But ultimately, it's a bond that cannot be broken. You know, you yeah. also spoke, Tasha, about 
how um, it's the best thing that you can do for your baby. Um, it's also like once your baby is outside the womb, it's also the only thing. As a lactating body, as a lactating mama, it's also the only thing that only you can do for your baby because anybody can bathe it, anybody can change it, anybody can rock it to sleep, right? At, breastfeeding is the only thing that you who carried it and grew it for nine months can continue to do for your baby. At that point, once it's out of the womb, everybody can care for it. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's so special and it's, it only lasts for a short time, even if it lasts for two years or if it lasts for five years, you know, it's still a short time because then you look up and they're 15, like mine. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> and you having a moment about it. <laughs> when your little booty if came they out. Were sitting next to you, they would be like, oh. Oh no, they know. They, they're fully aware. <laughs> Truly, my children could probably teach a breastfeeding class because sit, they, I have been packing them with me. Um, you know, I, my twins are 11. So if I say I've been doing this for 10 years, um, mm-hmm. actually I've been IBCLC for 10 years. I've been doing it for about 11 years. Yeah. So they um, were in a stroller. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was teaching classes and breastfeeding them. So they are fully well-versed in breastfeeding mm-hmm. education. My oldest daughter teaches me all the time and she tells me that she's going to formula feed if she's upset with me that's what she's that's her go-to that's funny i'm a bottle feed i'd be like yeah you tried so. yeah, okay <laughs> that's okay i'll just relactate and breastfeed <laughs> you. no this is weird and i'm gonna tell i'm gonna say it anyway i really want to relactate and breastfeed my grandchildren it is what it is no judgment for me that's what i want to do i want to i want to do that you are funny. I'll tell you something funny too about just babies picking up on stuff. So um, my daughter, when she was able to really speak, like, and she talked early, I told her, you know, that she would have to ask. So please was, you know, her request. I'm like, don't come up here pulling on my shirt. And she learned very, very quickly. I'm like, you need to say please. And then we can move on. Well, her request started to change, you know, as she got more words. So then it would go to nurse is what she would say. And then she would be like, nurse, milk, please. You know, and so now she'll she'll say the other one after she's done. Right. So we, you know, my little walking buddy breastfeeds her baby. Mm -hmm. And if her baby gets fussy while we're out walking, she'll be like, girl, do you mind? I'm like, what? No. <laughs> do what you got to do. So the first day, now this is the first time that she, my daughter has been around another breastfeeding mom and baby. Uh-huh. And so she was just really close. And so I'm like, back up, give her some space, blah, blah, blah. And so once the baby got done and unlatched off one side, my baby goes to her mom, the other one. <laughs> I was like, no, that's how you roll. <laughs> that's how you roll. This baby is fine. Well, where she is, you get get in this stroller, right? <laughs> she, a little, she a little lactation consultant in training, <laughs> right, girl. We right. need her, we right? Need and her then, in this. Right, and then we were out like a day or so later, and some kid was crying at Walmart, and she was like, "She needs mommy's milk." Yes, I said, okay. "Yeah, probably so, probably so." But yeah, what other myths you got? I know people think that if they have small boobs, they can't breastfeed. If they think they have too big boobs to breastfeed. Yes. Boob size is a myth. 
Naturally, um, naturally. I have heard that if you breastfeed a girl, she gonna be gay. I heard if she you breastfeed a boy, he gonna be gay. Girl, what? Or if you breastfeed a boy, he gonna you're sexualizing breastfeeding. You you can breastfeed your daughter, but you can't. I've heard all of it. That goes back to the colonization of breastfeeding, right? And um, the fact it's interesting that you call it colonization, and then you the context in which you used it because I thought you were going somewhere else with that. But you spoke specifically about the sexualization of breastfeeding and its need to be decolonized. And I think that's important to note because America is the only place on the planet that My sexualizes God. breasts and breastfeeding in the way in which we do. Every other country and culture and tribe on the planet, they breastfeed without issue. <laughs> Publicly. Whenever, wherever, it doesn't matter. Like yes. literally, you are feeding your child. The end. It's yeah. not even a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, that so annoys a, me. Mm -hmm. That's a huge myth. I. It's one of those things that. I mean, every time I hear it, I'm baffled. Like, oh, so, and every every I've heard like I, so many different families say so many different things. Like, you can breastfeed your daughter, but not your son, or breastfeed your son because you know he gonna like boobs later you know what i'm saying but don't breastfeed your daughter because you're gonna make her gay or i mean i've heard so many different things that's a huge myth that i've heard um we talk about the food and how babies need something other than breast milk for the first six months that is a myth um there's a myth that breastfeeding is supposed to hurt i think that's an important oh, mm -hmm. myth and um breastfeeding is actually not designed to hurt I'm always joke that I can't imagine a God so cruel that labor would be uncomfortable. And then also, <laughs> <laughs> so too with breastfeeding, right? I mean, there, there are some times where breastfeeding can be a challenge and it can be uncomfortable, but that is not the intent. And so I think it's important to, to note that if it is uncomfortable, if you are having pain, if it hurts, that yeah, means no. you need to seek some support. Yeah. Um, that's a big myth. Um, there's myths surround making milk, right? What you can eat, what you can't eat while you're breastfeeding or what thing, you know, you got to drink. A, I've heard women say you need to drink a lot of water to make good milk. And I've also heard women say you need to drink a lot of milk, like cow's milk to make milk. <laughs> and so there's lots of myths about your diet and, you know, truly whatever you like, you can eat. I always encourage everybody pregnant, lactating, not to eat a well-balanced diet, right? Like, but if you want to eat some chocolate, you can eat some little chocolate. If you like eating broccoli, eat your broccoli. Like, you know, we don't stop eating foods until we know for sure that they're going to have an effect on the baby. Like, I know when I first had my daughter, my oldest daughter, my grandmother called me and gave me this long list of things that I absolutely could not eat while I was breastfeeding or should not eat while I was breastfeeding. And on the list was most healthy things because a lot of healthy <laughs> foods cause gas right mm -hmm. like broccoli cabbage onions garlic these are all things that she told me again well-meaning right um and back when she was having babies and breastfeedings that was her truth that's what the education was at the time and so she was passing this on to us at, or to me as though it was truth and i was just like oh my god like i was probably eating broccoli as she was telling me that <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah spit it out so there are lots of myths um but you know most of, i mean we you know they're they're probably myths that we lists of myths that we could 
go down and things that we know and things that we haven't even heard of yet. We'll probably hear those tomorrow. Um, but most importantly, uh, make sure that if you are a breastfeeding person um, or a breastfeeding family, I think it's important that you surround yourself around other breastfeeding people and not just people who have tried to breastfeed, but people who have actually achieved breastfeeding success. And that doesn't have to be, you know, um, a professional. It could just be somebody in your community. Like you said, Tasha, there are lots of resources. There's um, lots of groups on social media that um, provide support, um, from all over the world there are people in that group from all over the world and then you know in your community there might be support groups in the hospitals or support groups um there are lots of coalitions state coalitions and local cultural community coalitions that have support groups or classes that can um kind of hold you and hold space for you while you're going through your breastfeeding journey i think that's um very important because if, especially if you don't come from a breastfeeding family, if you do come from a breastfeeding family, then your support system may already be in place. Um, that's not to say you don't need outside people, but if you don't come from a breastfeeding family, I think it's um, incredibly important go. to seek um, support from somebody who's going to kind of really understand your journey because it's a different journey if you breastfeed versus if you never have um, had success with breastfeeding yeah for sure and then I think um it's a confidence booster for people who didn't come from a breastfeeding family mm -hmm. um the reassurance is like it's a big deal you know you as as a woman in this society um we have the tendency to feel insecure about many things that are womanly yeah. <laughs> which is really crazy but um, that's the truth. And especially um, something like breastfeeding or breastfeeding in public, where the law, the law states that you have the right to breastfeed um, anywhere you have the right to be. Yep. And that's covered or uncovered and it's not to be interpreted as a sexual act. Um, so if you look for the groups, they are so easy to find mm -hmm. um, just with a hashtag on social media or something like Eventbrite. You can look a lot of um, breastfeeding support groups have groups on Eventbrite and events where you can um, attend or join. I don't know what Corona, you know, a lot of different things are popping up and yep. ways to kind of shift that group experience, but they're still out there and the support is still out there too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, do you have anything else to add about Black Breastfeeding Week? Or no. black breastfeeding in the black community? Um, maybe I do. I am happy to see more um, breastfeeding women um, not only choosing to breastfeed, but sharing their stories about breastfeeding and being more assured in however they want their breastfeeding journey to look. And so um, that could be from their goals or their choice to cover or uncover or just whatever. You know, I, I'm glad to see fluidity and, and people feeling like they have the right and ability to choose what is going to work for them and their family, their comfort level. Um, and me as a practitioner, I'm happy to support whatever that journey looks like. And I'm always very cognizant. Um, and conscious to tell my clients, my patients that every drop counts, you know, and so 
whether you decide that this is not for you two days in or two years later, that's completely up to you. I know that there's some situations where um, mental health is <laughs> in question for some breastfeeders and they're just like, okay, I can't do this anymore for my own mental health or whatever that looks like. And I think it's important to honor those things. So um, just as a provider being um, empathetic and being compassionate to those different situations and being an empowerer wherever you can is super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think um, we covered most of the things that I wanted to talk about today um, in regards to Black breastfeeding and honoring Black breastfeeding and then just making sure that we recognize Black Breastfeeding Week this year. Um, so I guess we can move on to our nurse's note. Um, I just want to share one itty bitty little thing. Well, okay. I shouldn't say itty bitty little. It's not itty bitty little. It is um, a project that is really personal to me. Um, and being a childbirth educator, I felt like sitting in a class or workshop is not always everybody's jam. And so being still is, um, can be difficult or um, can, it can be hard to concentrate. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted coloring pages in my classes that were affirmations and um, black images of black families, um, black mothers breastfeeding, whatever that looked like. And so I went on the search and lo and behold, couldn't really find anything, <laughs> okay? Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was able to commission an artist myself and create this here little um, coloring book which is self-titled to keep everything simple. And the artist went in a direction that I didn't think she would take, but she found images on social media of real people. And um, she contacted those people and said, hey, would you mind me using your image for this project I've been commissioned to do, yada, yada, yada. And so initially I was like, why would she do that? But now that I have it, I'm just like, I can tell people these are real people. people. Mm -hmm. These are real people. These are not just folks that we done made up. Um, and some of the images in the book are of me. There's one breastfeeding mama there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I stay creating. That's me and my honey and an affirmation there. Um, so this book will be available for purchase right away. There's another breastfeeding mama there. That's really cool. Um, and I felt like that was like right on time for Black Breastfeeding Week. I really had this big plan for a launch and I'm kind of a perfectionist. I was like, I gotta like do my hair and do something to myself and take some good pictures and stuff like that. And I was just like, no, I don't. I just gotta put it out there because if this is something that I was looking for, then likely someone else is looking for this as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very reasonably priced. You guys can go to sacred birthright, sacred underscore birthright on um, Instagram and the link is there in my bio. It'll be printed when you order. So, you know, if anybody wants to do that, I will be sharing photos of the coloring book too on my socials for anybody who would like to support. And yes. That's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yay. Thanks. I stay, you know, trying to create 
means of um, income and generational wealth for myself and my family. And <laughs> right now, things that don't require me to go into the hospital and be exposed. So, yeah. you know, this is just another one of those, my brain child, you know. Yeah, and it's meaningful, <laughs> though. You know, you're not just creating, you know, income. It's, it's meaningful. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Good. Oh, yeah. I'm really proud of it. I think it came out nice. <laughs> it did. I like it. I like it a lot. I like that. I actually like the idea that they're real people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like it. Very cool. Well, good. Well, my nurse's note this week, I have um, a couple. Uh, my first nurse's note is that... Um, I must, I cannot be in this space during this week and not honor my mentor, um, the woman who saw something in me when I didn't see it in myself. Um, it's insane, all the things that she poured into me and all the things that she told me and all the um, information that she gave me even before I was even ready for it. You're all talking about 10 years ago. You know, I was, I was 25. You know, um, when <laughs> when I met her, and so Miss um, Terry Jo Curtis, she is a pioneer in lactation. She was the first Black lactation consultant, or one of the first Black lactation IBCLCs in the state of Indiana. And I was blessed to um, know her on a deep level and learn from her. She pushed me to take my board exam and sit for the IBCLC exam, even though I was like, eh, I don't know if I want that. She was like, you're doing it. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. Uh, and You'll you catch know, all the things that she told me that she had planned for me, all the things that she wanted me to do. Um, I am now walking in that truth, even though, you know, when she told me, I was like, okay, lady, like you're kind of crazy, but okay. Yes, ma'am. You know, um, unfortunately she has passed on, but thankfully she is an ancestor now. And so I still have the privilege of channeling her when I need her and leaning on her, um, in that space. Um, this picture behind me that is always there. She actually, um, I was gifted that when she passed. So she didn't give it to me herself, mm -hmm. but her daughter, Paris, who was one of our faithful listeners, um, hey, actually Paris. gifted it to me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I love that it's there because I sit here whenever I'm doing like business stuff or important stuff. And it's all within this realm of work. And I can always see that and think of her. And so I must honor Terry Jo Curtis. Thank you, um, Mama Terry, for loving on me and planting seeds that are, you know, harvesting now. And I'm sure there are lots that are coming in my future. And so I appreciate you and I honor you. Um, my next nurse's note is that when it comes to breastfeeding for, this is for mamas and families, as you're thinking about setting goals, like you've heard Tasha and I say throughout the, this podcast that um, we support whatever your goals are. Right, we have our own ideas of what our what your goals should be, but ultimately we support whatever your goals are. And so we talk about the benefits of breastfeeding for a year and how you should be exclusively breastfeeding, not giving the baby anything, but um, mama's milk for six months. And sometimes that can seem really daunting. And so there's this saying in medicine and nursing, we say start low and go slow. 
And so I like to um, make that relevant to breastfeeding as well, because you don't have to set a goal of six months if that seems like a really long time for you. You can make a goal of six weeks. You can set a goal for six days or three weeks. So whatever seems like it's attainable for you. And then once you meet that goal, then you can just extend your goal. And so you may find yourself, like Tasha said, her goal was six months, right? And then here she is. She just continued to extend her goal. And now she's almost two years in the in the game <laughs> with no end in sight. Always an end. But, the, you know, you don't have to set a goal for a long period of time. You can start low and you can go slow. Um, and then my last nurse's note is also for breastfeeding families. Um, one of the most important things that I think we need to remember and be committed to is that we will never quit breastfeeding on our worst day. Um, and I think that's important because when you're having a hard time breastfeeding, when you're having all these challenges, when the baby won't latch, when the baby's striking, like Tasha talked about, baby won't latch, um, or if your nipples are sore, or if you're really tired, or whatever the case might be, um, quit on a good day because then your head will be clear, it'll be level. You know that you're not making an emotional decision. You're making an actual decision that's best for you and the baby. Because all too often I have moms who come back to me after they quit breastfeeding and they realize how important it was or how much they miss it or their baby isn't tolerating the formula or their baby misses mm -hmm. it. And they want to know how they can relaxate or how they can get back to breastfeeding. And so if you quit on your best day, if you quit when things are going well, then you can be 100% certain that it's actually the best decision for you and the baby and not just something that you're doing because you're tired or because you're in pain or because at whatever other reason that you might be quitting because it's a hard day for you. Mm -hmm. Those are really good nursing notes. Um, the only thing I have to add is, um, again, I feel like breastfeeding is one of the very best things that you can do for your baby. And I'm not just talking about the breastfeeder. Um, I'm speaking about everybody in the household and everybody in the village to support that journey. Um, it's free. It's free. It's free. It's free. It's already warm <laughs> most of the time. Um, and then shout out to my exclusive pumpers that is yes. still breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. um, to pump is a whole different level of commitment, if you ask mm -hmm. me, because there are um, breastfeeders who choose not to physically latch their baby for whatever reason. Um, there may be some trauma, there may just be their own personal reasons as a result, but they still do want to get the breast milk to their babies. And so they only pump. And so, you know, let me just go ahead and give you all y'all flowers, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I think that's a really big deal. Um, Ryan, thank you for all of the work that you have done and put into this community. I'm going to give you your flowers too. Um, not just for the last 10 years, but from the moment that you started your own breastfeeding journey that kind of lit something up or awoke something in you um, so that you could help the next parent. Mm -hmm. to make it through their journey and reach and surpass their goals too. So I'm really grateful for women who do what you do. I'm grateful for you. 
um, and when you help me <laughs> and all of that. So, you know, shout out to all the IBCLCs out there, lactation consultants, lactation um, certified lactation counselors and counselors. specialists. Thank you. I'm like educators. CLCs, yes. Yep. Um, all the nurses who are helping to breastfeed when there's not a lactation consultant or you know somebody mm -hmm. on staff at nights because I know. On night shift, a lot of times we do not have a lactation consultant scheduled. The weekend nurses, yes. you know, um, who are able to spend that extra time at the bedside to make sure that a proper latch is achieved. I just appreciate um, everybody who is coming together to further, um, you know, the goal of having a better society. Yeah. For sure. And the, and the providers who, even when they're not sure, they're well-connected with the lactation professionals in their community. So they don't just give blanket, you know, advice or suggestions. They actually refer their patients to a professional. Yes. Those so and the people important. who keep themselves educated. Yes. You know. Like, yes. you know, when a dentist told me that I should stop breastfeeding and that I should wipe my baby's teeth off. <laughs> Because yeah. her teeth would decay. And I was just like, we're not coming back here. And <laughs> say anything like, girl, that's wrong. That that has been debunked for forever. But I was just yeah. like, yeah, we won't be coming back here. Mm -hmm. This is not our yeah. place. And I just want to make a little tiny note, a little, a little, what they call it, a footnote to your <laughs> nurse's <laughs> note about breastfeeding being free. It is fiscally free it is financially free but the amount of time I just we can't negate it like can't like the amount of time a mom spends to breastfeed um the amount of energy the yes. commitment it is certainly not free and so we you know like you said if you spent eight hours a day breastfeeding, that's a full time job and it is mm -hmm. not time free right it is yeah. not commitment free it is it is certainly so it's fiscally free which is right. a huge money. benefit yes yes, yes. It's, it's free with your money you can your take that off the table yes um but i we honor the time and the the level of commitment that it takes to um, achieve breastfeeding success, albeit pumping or nursing directly at the breast or a combination of the two. Um, it, 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 it certainly, we certainly honor it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know I do. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> Me too. You know, it's funny that you talked about, this is my last thing I'm going to say, and then we can wrap it up. But you always, you, you were talking about how pumping is breastfeeding. And I always, like, I breastfed twins. I don't know if y'all know, but my youngest two are twins. And I breastfed them, but I take my hat off to women who exclusively pump. Because that commitment is real. I mean, and I breastfed twins, okay? <laughs> and I still salute women who choose to exclusively pump. I think they are incredible. Baby. Yeah. Yes, y'all the real MVPs. Yeah. The real MVPs. Because you're basically doing double work in my mind. It is so, double work. And then mm -hmm. pumping is not always, it's not comfortable. And it don't it's smell good and it's not cute. Your baby is both cute and smell good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you got to really be committed to that. And so I, I listen, salute you, pump, mm-hmm. exclusive pumpers. I know, right? Yeah. For Shout real. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything else. I think I have neither. exhausted. I think Thank you. Yeah. For listening, listen. for joining. Um, if you have any comments, feel free to either comment on the live or mm-hmm. send us an email at getsedated705 at gmail.com. You can hit us on any of our socials on Facebook, we're Conscious Sedation Podcast, and then on Twitter and Insta, we're Conscious underscore Sedation. Um, never mind the tumbleweeds over there. We're going to get back to managing our social medias. Oh. And (laughs) update, you know, and regularly post, but social media management is a whole job. So um, we're fitting this in and listen, (laughs) that's our 100% right now. So yeah, when we get back into the social media groove, you know, you guys will know it, but definitely hit us up if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. I do check the inbox. Yep. We want to hear from you. Like the video, share it, thumbs up any of your podcast um, platforms that you listen. Leave us a review, comment, subscribe, rate us. You know, we want your feedback. We do. We want to hear from you. That's all guys. Thanks for joining us. T-T-Y-L. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> X-O-X. Bye. <laughs> Bye.